0: Let's open the Word of God to Galatians chapter 1 for axiom number 20. Galatians chapter 1. Without any introduction, let's just move ahead through five other axioms of our worldview. The only right worldview, God's worldview, the Bible's worldview, the worldview of Bible Christians. Number 20, doctrine is Bible only. Doctrine is Bible only. It's based on axioms number two and axioms number four. Because axiom number two, God gave scripture. Axiom number four, scripture is absolute truth. Number 20, doctrine is Bible only. Galatians chapter one, verse six. I marvel. Paul wrote the churches, plural, of Galatia, that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, because there's only one. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, So say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. There is one faith, there is one doctrine, there is one apostolic gospel, and it's found in the Bible. Because we now turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses well known by Bible readers and Bible memorizers Verses 16 and 17 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Doctrine is Bible only. The last two verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Most Christians, over 90% of them, cannot even identify the subject and the mode of baptism. Because they live by tradition. They live by the magisterium. The word magisterium is a Roman Catholic word describing the authority contained in their popes, bishops, and cardinals. They follow institutions. We have no regard for any of those. It's got to be the Bible. We are a Bible Baptist church. We are Bible Christians before we're even Baptists because we wouldn't know about baptism without the Bible. It's just the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. This is God's revelation. It's not a book written by men. It's the words of the living God, and so we follow it. Great men, we don't care about. We don't care about John Calvin or Jacobus Arminius. We don't care about either of them. We don't care what they wrote, what they thought. We don't care about Martin Luther. We don't care about David Martin Lloyd-Jones. We care about what does the Holy Spirit say right. on the pages of Holy Scripture. Pompous denominations mean nothing to us. Eli who expressed it well, that great men are not always wise. Amen. And we can be wiser than the ancients, the, our teachers, and our enemies by meditating and sticking to the Word of God. There is only one faith, and it was given by the apostles 2,000 years ago, and we should earnestly be contending for it. God hides truth from anyone that exalts education, intellect, denominations, associations, great men, pompous robes, or anything else. He is going to withdraw from them the blessing of truth. And he's going to hide it from them, and he's going to reveal it to babes. And we want to be his babes. There is no tolerance for doctrinal variation, no matter the subject. Greenville is a center for fundamentalism, meaning let's agree on the fundamentals and disagree on other things. The other things, including the subject and mode of baptism, which totally destroys baptism reducing it to nothing a farce a heresy and confusion of the Presbyterians the fundamentals they say prophecy is a matter of Liberty prophecy is not a matter of Liberty either Jesus came and destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD and fulfilled 50 prophecies or he didn't it's not a matter of Liberty we follow the Bible even in prophecy John the Baptist is the fulfillment of Elijah the prophet from the last two verses of Malachi chapter 4. It's not a matter of liberty. Who gave them that liberty to define liberty when it comes to Bible doctrine? We do not tolerate error. Romans chapter 16 is one text that we could turn to on this subject. Doctrine is Bible only. It's part of our worldview. Every religious belief, Every religious practice must be found with a tsunami of evidence from the Bible, and we don't care what anyone or everyone says. We have always been that way. We always shall be that way, the Lord helping us. And you young, mem- you young members, or those that aren't even members yet, stick together and hold this church to this point right here. Because this point actually affects the whole worldview, because it's how we get our v- worldview is from the Bible. Romans 16, verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them. Yes, it's right to mark, to identify, to name specific men teaching lies. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. We don't care about eloquence. We don't care about persuasive ability. We care about Bible doctrine. And so we mark and we avoid anyone that doesn't speak exactly according to the Bible. And we call them belly worshipers. Because that's what they are. They're honoring their opinions, their denominations' opinions, their seminary's opinions above what was taught by the apostles. It's that simple. We've got to stick to that. It's part of our worldview. Truth does not change. Truth does not vary. Until a tsunami of evidence from the Bible is identified to move us to a new position. Cessationism is an example. We are Baptists. That means we are cessationists. Tongues have ceased. Cessation. There was an end to tongues. There are Baptists, like John Piper, weak Calvinists, who think they're cessationists, afraid to unleash the dog, because they know their services would turn into a nightmare, So they're limited, but they piously say, I would never want to say that anyone doesn't speak in tongues anymore. Well, I'll say it. Uh, If they speak in tongues, if by the Spirit, it's to deceive. If not by the Spirit, it's by the devil. Tongues ceased. Everything the Bible has is better than tongues, tongues is a joke of gifts in the New Testament compared to what we're doing right now, preaching. Do you know that the Bible says preaching is 2,000 times better than tongues? How does it say that? I'd rather speak five words in the pulpit intelligently than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. They break every rule there is for tongues whenever they do use them. That's just an example. There are Baptists caving in and not being cessationists anymore. Baptists have always been cessationists. That's one of the marks of being a Baptist. Axiom number 20. We have articles of faith. We have our ancient landmarks. We have Calvinism, Arminianism, and the truth. We have church history slides. We are established in Bible doctrine on many points, and it's part of our worldview. Everything comes back to the Bible. I read you an email just a few minutes ago, where a man had listened to our tapes from many years ago, bring everything back to the Bible. And that's what we do as part of our worldview. Bring everything back to the Bible. Don't try to reason emotionally. Don't try to reason historically. Don't try to reason ethically. Bring them back to the Bible. Where does it say that in the Bible? Here's what we believe, and it's based on the Bible. Don't just tell them, well, I believe this. Then he can say, well, I believe that. And the two of you are in a hopeless debate. It's hopeless because there's no answer. The answer is in the word of God. Number 21. True religion is preserved. Number 21. True religion is preserved. Let's go to Daniel chapter 7. God has kept his churches. God has kept his ministers. God has kept his truth in the earth. It moves from church to church, from minister to minister at times. But God has preserved it. God has kept His churches from Rome. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25, speaking of the popes of Rome. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. There was only a specific period of time where God allowed Rome to have authority, influence, war over his churches. Because then he ended them, and the churches came out of hiding. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion, to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And that's what's been happening since the Reformation. The 1260 years ended, the Baptists came out of hiding after that, and we've been consuming him by the preaching of God's word and the proliferation of bible in the vernacular tongues of the peoples on earth so that roman catholic's today to not have their membership completely collapse have to have bible studies they have never had bible studies masses were in latin and the people weren't allowed to have bibles but they have to adapt Just like our kingdom is so great, Constantine had to adapt to our kingdom and our king by pretending to... Oh, that one quote. Isaac Bacchus. Where is he? Bring him up so I can hug him then we'll let him go back down. I mean his body. Constantine had to pretend Christianity in order to keep his empire together because our king was making significant inroads into the Roman Empire. But back to this. It would only last for 1,260 years, and then they would come out and they would preach against Rome, and Rome would just be shrunk, shrunk, shrunk down to the Vatican and its little churches where its little idiots go and line up for mass, no longer persecuting, no longer advancing. They're trying to figure out ways to keep what they've got without losing it. It says, they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And those are the very words used in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that by the spirit of his mouth, preaching would consume the the man of sin's empire, and then it shall be utterly destroyed at the brightness of his coming. Matthew 16, 18, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. Collective noun for His churches. The gates of hell will not get rid of all of them. In Matthew 16, Ephesians 3:21, 21, unto the church throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. God would preserve His churches. Revelation 12, the church is described as a woman. She flees to the wilderness. God protects her there for 1260 years, just like Daniel told us. But she's preserved. Here we are. We read in the Bible about Bible Christians worshiping just like us, so we see them there. We see us here. What's happened in between? God's preserved them. Their writings were burned. They were poor people. They didn't publish. They were burned. They were killed. They were pulled apart and sawn asunder, if you want me to get Isaiah in there for you, under the hands of Manasseh. You say, are you sure about that? No, but I just thought I'd throw it out to get your attention to keep you awake. You say, are you going to mention that one again? Probably when we get to the book of Isaiah. Somebody was sawn asunder. Right. Manasseh was the worst king of Judah. Jewish tradition says Manasseh sawed Isaiah in half with a wood saw. Irrelevant information. I was just, just keeping your attention. True religion is preserved there's a number of look at 2nd Timothy chapter 2 2nd Timothy chapter 2 I am working on a paper right now that unless you ask for it you won't even see it it'll show up on the website somewhere somehow most likely but it is a document defending building walls our president's in trouble for wanting to build a wall I love our president for wanting to build a wall I don't think any of them have a right to be here. They can buy their way in, 50,000 ahead, US, whatever. They can do whatever they want to in their country. They can buy their way in. But we're not going to buy them in by doing everything we are for them. And forgive me for bringing up politics for even 30 seconds. I want to build a wall, and we've already had this wall in place, but I want to prove it from the Bible that there needs to be a wall for rebaptism and reordination. Because just because someone calls it a baptism doesn't make it a baptism. Right. Should we accept a Presbyterian baptism? No way. It's not even a baptism. Should we accept a Presbyterian ordination? No way. How can we accept a Presbyterian ordination when the men doing it aren't even baptized? Right. And the candidate that they're ordaining aren't even, isn't even baptized. Right. You end up, what are we called when we take a position like that? You're too exclusive. Who do you think you are? Do you have a corner on the truth? No. The Bible does. And it doesn't have any regard for a Presbyterian baptism or ordination. And I'm basically done with that uh, document. I've been working on it as a side project over the last number of weeks. But here you're getting just a little bit of it right now. If you want to pay attention. 2 Timothy 2.22. This is how God preserves. Did I say... I don't mean 2.22, I mean 2.2. My administrative assistant let me down, and she or he goes by my name. 2 Timothy 2.2, The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That is just a powerful text that God is going to have ministers, and there are four generations, Paul to Timothy to faithful men who will teach others also. What body of doctrine is to be conveyed? What Paul taught publicly. This is a key text. It's not what Paul taught in private. It's not seminary classes. It's public teaching. What Paul wrote in his epistles, what Paul preached, Timothy was to convey to other faithful men who would teach that body of doctrine, axiom number 20, to another generation. That is ministerial succession. I defy and laugh at church succession. It's not found in the Bible. Churches don't start churches. Ministers start churches. Ministers baptize converts and form them into churches. It's ministerial succession for the, perp- for the perpetuation of God's true religion. Right. Paul told Titus, I left thee in Crete that you might set in order the things that are wanting. A church didn't go to Crete to set in order the things that are wanting. There was one man there who could do anything that was wanting. If baptisms needed to be done, Titus could do it. If men needed to be ordained, which he did by himself he could do it. If people needed to be excluded, he could lead churches to exclude them. Ministerial succession. You know, there's several options. Today, if you get a good idea, I want to start a church in Charlotte like New Spring. So two buds sit down at a restaurant, raise a couple beers, and that is how Elevation Church started. Because the pastor of New Spring got together I can't even remember their names now. They're so unimportant to me. Perry Arnold. Is that right? Anybody remember? Perry Noble. That doesn't make any difference. I'm going to call him Perry Arnold. Perry Arnold. I heard you, though. And what's the guy up there? And please help. Oh, yeah, my favorite. Steve Furtick. I love it when he comes out in a wife beater after he's been working out heavy on lots of protein to show off while he's awesome. The guy has a master's degree from Southern Theological Seminary. He's got it, and he's been taught a lot of Baptist... I'm talking about a Baptist seminary. But, you know, those two guys sat down and said, listen, I want to do what you do. So you just go up and you rent a room, you get some loud music and some lights and strobes and stuff, and, you know, the, the people that are going to sing, they got to be sexy, and they got to know how to act on the stage before you come out. So that's one way to start a church. The other way is Church succession. Oh church succession one church says we have heard that you brethren in Detroit would like to be a church so we're going to extend an arm and make you a church you know which church extended the arm that is so hilariously stupid a church is a body I agree but you don't cut off my arm and send it 800 miles north, and put it in a different city, and call it a church because it's an arm. There is no such thing in the Bible at all whatsoever of any shade or variation. That is a man-made denominational system called Primitive Baptist. Then there's another way. Churches don't perpetuate other churches. Ministers do. So it's ministerial succession instead of church succession. The extremes that one can go to, and the primitive Baptists are very close to this extreme. The other group is called landmark Baptists. They believe there is a linked chain, names of churches from the apostles, the church at Jerusalem, to them. The only problem is, in their linked chain succession of churches, painful they have 1500 years of gaps and they're only covering 2000 years to begin with the Bible what does the Bible say about it Timothy you've heard my public ministry and you know you've been traveling with me you know the body of doctrine that I have taught to the churches of the Gentiles. I want you to take that body of knowledge and doctrine and I want you to convey it to other faithful men who will be able to teach others also and they have done that for 2,000 years. And I don't need a lineage of men going back to Paul, Timothy and faithful men coming from them because we see it at that end, we see it at this end, and we trust God by faith in between. And you say, wow, you're kind of covering... But I didn't say I had link chain succession that I could identify. Those landmarkers say that they can actually list the church, Church of Jerusalem. Church of, let's just guess, Rome. Church of Spain. Church in London. Back to Bohemia Forest of Germany. They list. And I'm not saying anything like that. What I'm saying to you is, we see it started. We see it continuing today with Baptist pastors, ordaining Baptist pastors, and we believe by faith in between that God kept them together by His promise that He would do so, and because that is how you have a 66-book canon that you're holding in your laps right now. God said He would preserve His word, that's on that end. What you have in your laps is a 66-book Bible. You can't see anything in between. Where did it come from? Where's the epistle to the Laodiceans? Where's the Gospel of Judas? You want to read that one? It's by faith. It's by faith that you have a 66-book canon in your laps because there is no linguistic, scriptural, historical method to identify how it came together. It just came together. God promised it. We've got it. We believe it by faith. And you have to and when someone ever says to you about the King James Bible how do you know it's God's word? you just say, well I believe it by faith God promised so I believe it by faith it has fruit its facts are internal have internal integrity and really only fools question it you know that's our four F's about Bible preservation and they'll say well that's a whole lot about faith you're not relying on manuscript evidence and textual critics no and neither are you when it comes to the 66 books you hold in your hand. That, this point is so weighty. There's no way to defend the 66 books in your Bible as to why some were included and some were excluded except by faith in God's operation. Right. And he's done that. And he's preserved true religion in the earth. The churches that these men pastor are the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is to uphold it, support it, send out ministers, support their ministers, to labor in the word and doctrine. Pastors are the ones that pick pastors. First Timothy chapter 3 is a pastoral epistle. The first seven verses of 1 Timothy 3 are the qualifications for the ministry given by one minister named Paul to another minister named Timothy. None of it is in a general epistle to a church. That's like a flock of sheep ordaining a shepherd. That's like children picking parents. The Lord does the picking, and the Lord does the ordaining, and the Lord has set the method of being ministerial succession. Succession is by faith in Baptist claims, Baptist doctrine, Baptist history, and practice, and we do it just like we do with our canon of 66 books in our Bible. When we look at history, who were the martyrs? Here's the pain. The world wants to tell you, if you go online and say, where did the Baptists come from? They've got lots of answers. They've got lots of documents. The Baptists came from John Smith, and that's spelled with a Y, in 1609 in Holland, who figured out that immersion was probably a pretty good idea, who then baptized himself so that he could be immersed, who then left the group that he started and went and became a Mennonite where they pour. The Mennonites pour. Never forget that. They're called Anabaptists because they believe they, they hold to believers' baptism right. and they repudiated infant baptism. And so they would rebaptize anyone that had been sprinkled as a Catholic, but they only poured. That's what they're going to tell you. Baptist started in 1609 with John Smith. Our answer is, who were the martyrs before 1609? Right. Who were the martyrs in 1409? What was Innocent III so worked up about in the 1100s? Why did he have so many to kill? Well, the Lord told us what was coming for 1260 years, and we're on this side of it, and somehow the truth got to us, didn't it? Amen. What happened in between? Those are all those martyrs. Because do you know what the Bible says? He shall prevail. The popes would prevail. It's the Bible's choice of word. Bible, that, that they would prevail against us. This is going to be a very brief comment. I wish you could consider all Baptist churches and all ministers three ways. A Baptist church and a Baptist minister is legal, spiritual, and practical. or Practical. All you you have to do is read Revelation two and three and you arrive at these three positions. If the church at Ephesus had the candlestick taken away from them, they would not be spiritual. They would just be a legal church. Would they still be a Baptist church? Would they still be immersing? Would we take their baptisms? Yes, we would because they're legal. They still had the candlestick, so they were spiritual, meaning the Holy Spirit was still there. They weren't being obedient either in passion or practice, so they were not practical. Do you know what kind of a church we want to be? We want to be a historical, legal Baptist church that has the candlestick of the Holy Spirit and we are practically obedient to what the Bible says. Amen. And there's those three positions and i got to go on. Rebaptism and reordination become important to preserve apostolic truth. If we let that down because we want to accommodate Presbyterians or Church of Christ or Charismatics or uh, Mormons, or once you start down that path, what verses will stop you? there are no verses to stop you. So you got to back it all the way up to apostolic practice of immersion like Baptist. When did Church of Christ baptism start? 1830. When did Mormon baptism start? 1830. Do you know what they're admitting by when they give a date? You know, if you type in origin of Mormons, it's going to tell you 1830. Do you know what that's admitting? We're not part of Paul and Timothy's chain of ministerial succession. Right. I, can you grasp that and get excited about it? That was number 22, right? Oh, I was trying to get done in time. (laughs) Number 22. Number 22. Faith is crucial for truth. I hope the last one wasn't confusing. I know there's there's a lot of unended paragraphs that I started, but it's an important one. Number 22 faith is crucial for truth. And we need to build up each other's faith in our church. Faith is not blind belief but it believes truth outside limited human senses or sciences because God told us. If God tells us something, we believe it, and that settles it. Faith is crucial. The truth of God's existence, His creation, His providence, is visible to faith. Hebrews 11 says that through faith we understand things that are not seen. Somebody would say, well, that's blind faith. No, it isn't. God said it. We believe it. We don't need to see it. Because if you can see it, it's the least important things in the universe. The most important things in the universe can't be seen. God can't be seen, never will be seen. Angels can't be seen. Justification isn't seen. It's a doctrine that the Bible gives us. The most important things are things you can't see. Faith is only given to some. It is opposite God's blinding and hiding truth to others. And we need to build up each other's faith at all times in the Bible. If the Bible says it, I believe it. If Obadiah is what God said about Edom, it sounds harsh to me, and I think the president would get in trouble if he talked that way. And I'm not used to speaking that way, but I believe it. I believe every syllable of Obadiah. I'm cheering the Lord on with every sentence he utters. And he did bail me out again. Burn them to the ground. Some of you were wondering last Sunday, is that really found in the Bible? I gave you a few things to think about in the Tuesday or Friday update. Then I gave you Obadiah to really think about it because that's exactly what he said. And why did he burn them to the ground? Because they clapped at the wrong time. I just gave you a one sentence description of the book of Obadiah. And I'm sorry that I did not give a better description last night And I did go find that my outline for Obadiah is not on the website, but it will be soon. The sermon is there, but the outline isn't. Preached many, many years ago. I have an outline that's done. It seems done to the normal eye, but it's never been published. And I looked at it last night. Faith is only a gift to some. Only some have faith, and they are more reasonable than those without it. Look at 2 Thessalonians, since you're not far away. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, this is an important part of our worldview. Right here. We can't help it that they don't have faith, God didn't give it to them. We can't help it that we have faith, God did give it to us. And we love our faith. And we want to build up our faith and use our faith. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2 Pray for us, brethren, in verse 2, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Pray for us that we'll be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. If you don't have faith, you're unreasonable. If you don't have faith, you're wicked. Unreasonable and wicked men don't have faith. Paul prayed, asked the Thessalonians to pray, deliver us from those kind of men Paul didn't ask for them to pray. Deliver those kind of men to us so that we can save them. Because if they don't have faith, you can't help them. Right. And this is what you're going to run into with everyone you talk to. Either they have faith or they don't. Faith is the gift of God. God's chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith. James chapter 2 and verse 5. And so this is an important point for our worldview as we look at why some believe, some, why some don't believe why we believe, why it's so obvious to us, why it's so simple to us, why it's so certain and sure for us, and yet it's not for others. They don't have the faith we have. And the purpose of our church and the purpose of preaching, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The purpose for us getting together is to reconfirm our faith, strengthen our faith before we go out those doors into a faithless world. Men without faith choose presuppositions terribly inferior to those with faith in God. Do you know all our reasoning starts with God is. And we reason from that. They reason from nothing is. Conversion requires God's preparatory work of regeneration, opening and drawing us. And then it requires the Spirit and the Word of God to bring us to the understanding of the truth and we can continue to grow and and advance in it, like the book of Ephesians teaches about the Holy Spirit. Number 23. Number 23. Confidence hinders truth. Number 23. Confidence hinders truth. Three words. Intelligence, or high IQ, which often comes with more education, causes pride and then blindness. Confidence. Humility is a better word than confidence. Confidence. We want to be humble. We want to be his babes. We want to tell him so. We want to be like Solomon. I am but a little child. I don't know how to go out or to come in. What happens to a man like that? Oh, yes. Gives him a boatload, the motherload of wisdom, so that there was no man before him or like him in understanding. Confidence hinders truth. So when we look at the world and we hear someone arrogant uh, be No, 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 no. Don't talk like that. Don't say, God couldn't sink the Titanic. Don't say, on your interview, athlete, I want to thank God for making me so special. How do you make those plays? I don't know. When I'm in the air, I just freeform and I just have a gift. Whenever you hear junk like that, you are listening to the devil and the absolute stupidity and insanity of man. He should have been giving God the glory for giving him two legs to walk. Confidence hinders truth. Jesus looked around and realized the publicans, the lowest profession in Israel, tax collectors for a foreign government, and the harlots, prostitutes, they believe me. They're being baptized. But the seminary students, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the priests, the Levites, they are rejecting me. And he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, I, Lord of heaven and earth. Remember, God reigns over all, rules over all, and created all things for himself. And he has absolute dominion over men. Jesus said, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, I thank Thee. That thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. The wise and prudence of those men was in their imaginations. Yep. They weren't wise and prudent when measured by God's word. Right. They thought they were wise and prudent. But the little babes that didn't think they were anything, like we always want to be as a church, he revealed everything to them. Fantastic passage Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. This rule, this axiom does not approve stupidity and it doesn't reject education. We just want to use it well. We want to use it rightly. Pride is man's downfall. Pride's a terrible thing. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. It's not depravity. It doesn't say the wicked, through total depravity of the Calvinists, will not seek after God. It says the wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts because he really thinks he is God. He's the most important thing. So the two-year-old hasn't changed, has he? Have you ever heard a 35-year-old that sounds like a two-year-old and thinks the whole universe revolves around a 35-year-old? like a two-year-old thinks, because of pride. Therefore, college campuses and the infants kept there and their nannies are the most foolish on earth because they're exalting human education and human intellect as a source of truth and wisdom. Educational choices, priorities, scope and sequence must be wisely done for all our children. Every parent needs to think through What do I want them to know? What will please God and how will they grow in favor with God and men? That's my scope and sequence. And yes, I'll get them a little technical knowledge because that's pretty simple. It's so easy to make money today. But I want them to grow in favor with God and men. Confidence hinders truth. We always want to beg God and tell Him. And I hope we do it often in this church and I hope you've all heard it. I'm the least of all the ministers he's ever called to the ministry. I don't know anything without him. What I don't know, I hope he'll show me. What I know and I'm not obeying, I hope he'll convict me. And I'm his little child and I love being his little child. And I want our whole church to always have that attitude and to have it passionately. At the same time, Paul could say, I am not less than the chiefest apostles. Right. I labored more abundantly than they all. I'm not saying those things. I'm saying Paul did. So today we've had a couple statements made, and we say this, that the Lord has shown us more truth and He's done more for our vineyard than anyone else we know. Right. And the only reason we say it, isn't it? Two reasons. One, we want to thank Him. Amen. Two, we want to give Him a sweet vintage Mm -hmm. and we want to keep all those things in balance number 24 number 24 blessing or curse is a choice blessing or curse is a choice a youth retreat many years ago laid out Deuteronomy chapter 30 and its statement I set before you this day life and death. Choose. Remind your family that things don't just happen. There are no coincidences. There are no coincidences. If you choose to honor God, them that honor me, I will honor. 1 Samuel 2.30. Great text. And if you want to rebel against Him and vex His Holy Spirit, He can turn to be your enemy. He can hurt you in ways you can't even imagine because He knows you better than you know you. And when you go read Leviticus 26 or you read Deuteronomy 28 and these chapters in the Bible list what He will do to those that reject Him and list what He will do to those that obey Him. It's a wonderful list for those that will obey Him. It's a terrible list for those that will disobey him, and that was his church. Blessing or curse is choice. The Bible is a cause and effect book. The Bible is an if-then conditional book for life in this world with rules that activate natural and supernatural results. The book of Proverbs, I have had to write so many times this proverb, if you keep it, you activate natural laws of success and you activate supernatural blessing from the God who gave the law because you're obeying Him. And if you disobey, you activate natural laws that are going to punish you because the civil authority will punish you, other businesses will punish you, friends will punish you, credit, creditors will punish you, and then God will punish you supernaturally for rejecting His Word. The Bible... Re- results in blessing or curse, and it's your choice. It's clearly stated in the Old Testament. It's clearly stated in the New. The passage I gave you last night opening up the preparatory email was 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, but it was your conditions to bring about His seven promises. If you don't keep the conditions, you don't get the seven promises. Coming to church doesn't get you the seven promises. There were very specific conditions laid out because he is very jealous of his temple and i don't know if you went through the time i took to give you that preparatory but i said did you find the one thing in the middle that's the basis for all this just to help some of you out that may not have found it for ye are the temple of the living god that's that was the one thing right in the middle ye are the temple of the living god therefore I have to have these kind of rules because I don't want any of their junk getting into my temple. And so if you'll do it and if you'll separate because those, those, five th- those five things don't have any fellowship with my religion. They are totally opposite. My religion is antithetical to those five things. So if you'll keep my four rules because you are the temple of the living God, I'll give you seven promises. I, mean, the, I was messed up last night. I'm sorry for getting it to you late. But I, keep the condition if... Then he'll give us the seven promises. And we want those seven promises. In Galatians it says, Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's that simple. Life is not complicated. Let's obey. When we walk with the Lord and delight in his word, and when we trust and obey, that's when we realize his best best inside, his best outside, the best possible for our lives. Folly or wisdom lead to certain consequences of God and men either punishing or favoring. Try to do it your way. Try to do it thinking you have a winning personality. Try to do it thinking you have a winning or successful intellect. God's going to destroy you. You've got to do it His way. And then He'll just heap the blessings on. This is part of our worldview. Life just doesn't happen. There are not coincidences. Second time, there are no coincidences. In the day of adversity, in the day of prosperity. In both of them, you have a duty to do to check things out. We're always to be examining ourselves. Bible Christians, with understanding, are never fatalists or antinomians regarding duty. Antinomian is a word that means no law, not under the law, to the extent that you can do whatever you want. We're not like that. There are promises in the Bible. Delight thyself also in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. These are just wonderful promises in the Bible. And they prove this particular axiom, blessing or curse, is a choice. And you say, well, what about the martyrs? Everybody wants to question God's Word. I'm going to tell you something about me. I've never had one of those questions in my entire life on any subject, anywhere, in the whole Bible, and I don't understand why you do. Do you think you're smarter than the Bible? Why would you question that? Well, what about the martyrs? You're a scorner for the question. The martyrs are more blessed than you will ever be in your life. You say, well, I'm living come to me and let's list the 10 or 20 things that you hate about your life right now. They're in a life that they have nothing that they hate about their lives. And they got to give God a gift that no one else can give him, like giving their life. There's just on and on we could go. The Bible is true. But the Lord is so wise, and he sees your whole life, that he's operating with a whole lot of different principles involved at one time. Oh, the promises seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you honor thy parents that it may be well with thee every one of you in here and I don't care how old you are if you have living parents you have heard from me that it may be well with thee that it may be well with thee. do you know why because I believe it I don't care about how smart you are I don't care about you have rich uncle I don't care about that you landed a job that you think was impossible. All I think about is what God said, that it may be well with thee. That if you'll honor your parents, it will be well with thee. Because I believe the God that wrote the Bible completely. I believe that law more than gravity. I know that Jesus defied gravity and went straight up. I know that Elijah went straight up in a chariot. He defied gravity. But no one can defy this. Honor thy father and thy mother that it may be well with thee. And so your life is the result of your choices. And when you're on the job, Colossians chapter 3 tells employees and masters that you better make sure how you treat. If you're an employee, you better treat your master right because he's going to crush you for making it hard for some manager because you're a spoiled little brat. And if you're a manager and you're not fair with your employees, fair, not generous. Generosity isn't a requirement. Fair. If you're fair and equitable, then he will bless you. And if you're not, he'll punish you for it. Obedience is win-win. Let me, let's, we're closing. Cl- hurry, help me. Job chapter 17. We could go and go and go on this one. This is the Bible. Obey, I bless disobey I punish that sounds fair I like that that's easy that's simple I'll obey Job 17 and verse 9 the righteous also shall hold on his way and he that hath clean hands shall be stronger and stronger lay hold of that verse do you want to be stronger and stronger do you want to hold then hold on your way the righteous also shall hold on his way and he that hath clean hands shall be stronger and stronger 22 and verse 1. That's not the verse I want. I'm going to have to quote it now. And that's always a risk. Acquaint now thyself with him, and be at peace, thereby good shall come unto thee. Acquaint now thyself with him, and be at peace, thereby good shall come unto thee. Yes, Lord! When the the God of heaven says, thereby good shall come unto thee, what does it do to you? That's like a candy store. That's like... Forget, I hate candy. Let's open the vault of the Federal Reserve. Come in and take what you want. Yes, your truck is allowed. (laughs) Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. So when you look at the world, there's blessings for obedience. What if a reprobate obeys? What if a reprobate honors his parents and a reprobate does other things that are good? Will he benefit by keeping God's commandments? Yes, indeed He will. We are not really a Christian nation. There's a lot of Christians within our nation, but we still give God some lip service in our pledge and on our money. And He continues to bless us. 22, 21. So if you can see it in front of you. Acquaint now thyself with Him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. I dropped a two when I added a two in the other one. Somebody needs a frontal Lobotomy. Sin is lose-lose. Look at Proverbs thirteen fifteen. When you go out of here today, you're going to make choices, and those choices are going to have consequences. And some of the consequences you won't see until years down the road, but you will have consequences. Proverbs thirteen fifteen. Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. There it is. Both sides in one verse. 14 in verse 34. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. America's greatness depends on righteousness in her, and it exalts a nation, and we've been that kind of a nation, but sin is a reproach to any nation. Life does not happen. Deny all coincidences. Right. LGBT is not just a coincidence. LGBT is a very direct and specific response by the God of heaven To our schools teaching evolution and not giving thanks to their Creator for all their blessings. They want to thank first responders on Thanksgiving Day. Thanksgiving Day never, in anyone's mind ever, was for first responders. First responders have their own day. First responders are so insignificant that they do not deserve a day, they are insignificant. But God is significant. Right. And the Bible says in Romans 1, 18 through 32, that if you are not thankful, and if you deny that I'm the creator, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rewire you. So we, when you look out in the world, and every single day it's thrown at me on the Drudge Report or wherever I go for a quick survey of the news headlines, I realize the Bible's being fulfilled right in front of my eyes. Right, the obedient are being blessed and the disobedient are being punished. And everything starts to make sense if we have the right worldview. And there, there you go. There's 24 axioms to get us a little farther down this road. And we will try to keep up the pace and finish this. These You can't, you can't memorize them. Don't memorize them. Uh-uh. Just learn them. Talk about them pick one a day for devotions and add five minutes let's remember this one don't try to memorize them and just learn everything you read in the news exercise your senses to discern good or evil what what axiom is that breaking that just happened in the news what this ant this solution to that problem is that biblical and just going through that process you'll learn to think the way the Bible wants you to think he has not given us a task that we with average intelligence are not able to grasp and fulfill we can do it. May the Lord bless the preaching of His word. Amen. Please stand with me. Thank you for your kind attention. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for the last five verses of second Corinthians chapter six, that if we will separate ourselves from this world, because their worldview has no compatibility with your worldview that you will bless us, that you will be our father. We will be your sons and daughters. You will dwell with us. You will dwell in us. We can be your temple. You will come to us. We thank you for those wonderful promises. We have spent today in the preaching part of it, looking at your word to establish ourselves in the solid rock Of Holy Scripture by faith you've given us and things you've taught us by the succession of ministers from the days of the Apostle Paul. Thank you for preserving truth in the earth. Thank you Lord for preserving worship in the earth that matches your scriptures. Now be with us as we go out of here we will be assaulted and Heavenly Father our flesh is weak. Our flesh loves these worldly things. We're going to be assaulted from the inside and the outside. Give us the courage. Give us the conviction. Help us to be like David. Help us to be like the martyrs that Zach exhorted us to this morning that we will slay that enemy, that we will crucify the flesh and we will stand for thee with a moral, upright, righteous, holding on our way life that you can bless us even further and we can be stronger and stronger. We thank you for showing thyself to us, Lord. We, We love being acquainted to you. And we want to be more acquainted with thee. Show us more of thy glory. And we will live in peace. If you show us some good, that'd be nice. But you don't have to. Just show us more of yourself. And we'll be content. We'll be more than content. We'll sing your praise. It's in Jesus' name. We pray as little children to thee. In Jesus' name.